Good evening to you, Mdungwa, and uh, welcome. Good evening, good evening. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Mbulaz, let's maybe start off uh, at uh, South African Airways, where it seems, uh, I guess, the path to, um, I don't know, to the new airline or to um, uh, whatever shell might remain, has managed to stave off uh, liquidation for now. Um, talk to us about what's happening here. Well, um, this is a very tricky situation, right, because we're trying to save this asset that, you know, is obviously a vanity asset and to keep the kleptocrats happy. So we find ourselves in a, you know, um, in crossroads where, you know, um, on the on the left we have the kleptocrats, on the right right hand side we've got the, um, the the vultures. So it's going to be very hard which road we choose. But clearly the kleptocrats win for now. I mean, um, looking at SAA uh, itself, like you're saying, uh, apparently according to 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 you know, the business rescue practitioner, practitioners. Sorry, um, it, the condition has been met basically for the airline to be saved. Mm. Um, obviously, there's going to be steps on how this is done. Um, the government will have to, well, I say the government, the South African citizens who pay their taxes have to cough up about 16.4 billion rands uh, in the next three years. And uh, the government will, here at Treasury, says it will mobilize about 10 billion rands also. Um, to to have 26 billion uh, sorry 20, 26.4 billion rands in total to save this airline which only employs 1,000 people. So it's uh, yeah. Sounds it, like it, it sounds like big. a it sounds like a stuck it, record. I mean, uh, you know, if, if if you if you can cumulatively put together Ndonga, over the last 10 to 15 years or so, how much money has been put into uh, trying to save the situation at SAA? Uh, it certainly. Uh, uh, does make for very sober reading. But let's shift our attention away from that and um, take a look at the other SOE that uh, always draws considerable interest, and that's ESCOM, because I guess all of us are reliant on it for uh, uh, our electrical supply. Now, it seems they're playing hardball um, and uh, playing, uh, I guess, uh, a serious game of power here with some of the municipalities, uh, effectively administering their affairs. What's happening here? Look, I think um, after his track record at NAMPAC, uh, the new CEO of ESCOM, Andre De Ruita, is basically trying to run the state-owned entity as a company that has shareholders and wants to do it in a, in, a, in a responsible manner. All he's saying, he says, okay, what are our operations? This is what mm. we're supposed to do. We're supposed to deliver electricity to the people at a cost. And obviously, we need to produce low and sell at, at least higher than what we produce. And then it goes to the balance sheet and it says, okay, uh, which municipalities, you know, are the bad actors here? And who is actually taking advantage of using electricity but not paying for it? And obviously, going to those municipalities, speaking to them, uh, well, we're talking about, you know, where ESCOM has receivables and where ESCOM is seeing a lot of illegal connections. So, he's, mm. you know, he's obviously trying to do this, being the business-minded person he is, but the problem is he forgets that in an SOE there's politics yeah, involved. Yeah. And, Bruno, you don't it, do that just before a local government election. I mean, we've got a local government well, election coming in the next few months. You do not do that. Exactly. But, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting strategy. It will be very interesting to watch what happens to his job post the elections that are, like you say, that are around the corner. 
But mm. currently, um, you know, the municipality of Harrismith, which is the Maluti performing municipality, um, you know, has been used here as an example of what happens if you owe ESCOM um, and you're finding it tough to pay back. I mean, they're talking about seizing their assets and, um, you know, basically cornering them into paying ESCOM. I mean, ESCOM has to do something because also the government can't be saving each and every SOE left, right, and center because the money is not infinite, right? So at some mm. point, someone is going to have to do things the right way. And that's why... Yeah. And you know, there's this government principle there. that... There's also the government principle, Mbullah, that they don't, they don't bail out municipalities. So I guess that complicates the, the issue slightly as well. And it seems... Uh, yeah, that uh, municipality, Maluti Apofung, really um, catching a lot of fire there because you'd remember that's also the place where there was the water crisis, um, and um, uh, and the young and the death of a I think a six year or eight year old uh, from uh, who was going to pick up water or something like that, and he ended up passing away. So it's certainly not an area where they've had a very glowing and good experiences of service delivery in the recent while, and we'll watch that closely. And uh, if of course the uh, uh, a CEO that gets uh, some political pressure or some uh, political influence uh, to maybe continue with that program or, or maybe stop. Because we have heard uh, the president saying that uh, no uh, culture of non-payment will be accepted at this point. But um, let's shift away from the SOEs and maybe sp- speak to two stories here that have uh, brought some good news. Now, um, one of these uh, is out of the Northern Cape, uh, where Kumba Iron Ore Uh, has now received approval from its board and the board of Anglo-American, which is the parent company, uh, to, uh, yeah, now invest in uh, the Capsterfell pit in one of the Northern Cape operations. And this uh, might have um, extensive impacts for shareholder returns, but also, uh, one would think, for production and uh, some skilled jobs in that part of the world. Yeah, I mean, this is a long-term investment. They're expecting to basically extract their first iron ore um, in, in the year 2024, which is around the corner, if you think about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's four years from now. Um, obviously, these, these projects, um, if you're starting it from scratch, um, they're very heavy on capital. So um, Anglo, you know, and Kuma, obviously, together, they're, you know, looking at $7 billion in terms of, you know, pre-stripping uh, the, co- the cost of that project. So it's a big, you know, it's a big capital commitment. Um, and obviously you only commit to such big numbers, at least if there's proof that you will get what you're looking for, you know, underneath the ground. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of, um, you know, the, the, the Louisiana project of Cecil where they showed us all these gloating uh, inter- IRRs, internal rates of returns. Here we're talking about, you know, 25% and, and margins of 35%. But again, if this is done perfectly in a perfect world with no, uh, you, you know, hiccups, yes, that's true. But as we've seen with Sasso, we've seen these projects can, I mean, they, they were talking about an IRR of over 16%, 18% at some point in US dollars. But today we know that that's negative. There's, there's never where we um, <laughs> exactly where we are today. So because of you know cost overruns and all those kinds of things that come yeah, yeah. Uh, with these kinds of projects and, and mismanagement um, on the accounting sourcing. I mean, you can go down you know the route line by line in terms of you know the the, the financial statement of you know what they got in wrong there. But uh, if this happens, it will be definitely a, a, a 
game changer for 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 those investors of the two companies. Um, uh, we like you said, we've been we'll be definitely looking at this one very closely. Maybe yeah, yeah. here, the, the, since they've got experience and it is home ground and where where they also operate, maybe maybe it's not going to be so bad, you know, because all of the resources they want are here. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, also, Bulaz, I'm hoping it has something for the people of the Northern Cape because what we've heard from uh, Kumba and uh, the CEO, the Mkwanazi, uh, was really, you know, that this is probably going to be the one site where they start to pilot their approach towards smart mining, heavily automated and mechanized mining, uh, which uh, probably is not going to have a lot by way of jobs for, for those with limited or no skill. But uh, it will do something for the technological profile of the Northern Cape and I guess the kind of skilled personnel it can attract. Yeah, um, it's going to be a very tricky one. It will probably attract different skills. Um, mm. Maybe the number of jobs, yes, does shrink, but maybe not that, not by that much in terms of, you know, the manpower needed to run those uh, mines. Um, I mean, we've seen some of these mines in China, et cetera, where, um, you know, they're fully automated. They've got a mm. few engineers, but... They tend to create jobs in other ways, directly and indirectly for those sure, communities. Sure. So I'm not going to get too political on that. Okay. Uh, just before we let this particular story go, we do know that um, there are some supply chain challenges that uh, Kumba and many others who uh, ship uh, ores and commodities from the Northern Cape through to Saldana or through to uh, the ports there in the Western Cape, um, uh, um, around Cape Town or so. Um, that being said, um, they've also come out and said Transnet, because it's been operating at 80% capacity, uh, has led to a glut in their supply chain and uh, they might be sitting on some ore that uh, should potentially be already in the export market. Correct. I mean, that, that only affects um, the, the price of iron ore. If, you know, the, 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 the times you're talking about that are, you know, in transit are very high, right? Um we're talking about something like 18.2 million tons, you know, to two to 22.3 million tons. It is quite a lot, but in in the overall scheme of you know iron ore, I don't think <laughs> that's a lot. But I mean, again, um, the market is a very efficient place. It will regulate itself if the, you know there's an oversupply. If that's what you're alluding to. Okay, then the last one here. All the way out in Buffalo City, East London, a uh, dairy there, one of the uh, players uh, um, in that neck of the woods, might be supplying uh, much of our processed cheese. Now, uh, I certainly was today years old, uh, when Ambulaz, I, I only found out about this today, uh, that the bulk or about 70% of some of the slice-on-slice cheese that one would find uh, um, you know, in the process space in South Africa is actually imported. So a lot of the processed cheese that we buy actually doesn't come from South Africa. And uh, that might change here with um, Sundale Dairy, which uh, currently supplies Burger King and McDonald's. Uh, and that uh, they've now partnered with an American player to set up a processing facility there in East London. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I came across these stats back in 2012 when... Uh, Grand Parade was bringing in, um, you know, uh, Burger King here to South Africa. Yes, yes. That you actually do import a lot of, you know, slice and slice cheese, like you're saying. But I didn't realize it was 70%. 70%. So 70%. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a shocking number. But the good news here is that obviously, like you're saying, the Sundale 
dairy, um, you know, and, and its partner, you know, they're, they're going to be building a new plant down in the East London Industrial Development Zone, uh, which will basically help with, uh, you know, uh, importing a lot of this cheese because it will mm. be now developed here in South Africa. And obviously, uh, they're looking to deliver about 7,000 tons of preservative-free slice-and-slice, you know, processed cheese. So I wonder what 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 that will mean for um, the people that like the 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 um, sort of fast food, you know, the burgers specifically, sure. um, in terms of taste, because you know processed cheese is very rich in taste. So um, it'll be very interesting to watch uh, how people react to that. Because if they do get it right, ah, you think, you think we know, man? You think when we buy that burger, Embulas? Uh, you think when we buy that burger, we're able to distinguish that I uh, cheese, Baba? This processed cheese, or when I buy that quarter, uh, this Look, cheese I, 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 I'm with you there. The average person, I don't think, will be able to tell the difference. Sure. So maybe, mm. <laughs> either way, this is a big win for South Africa. So I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah. Um, and the investment doesn't look like it's a lot. I mean, it's 17 million uh, rands, um, you know, for this factory. Um, sure. And definitely this is positive this is the kind of news we want to see especially in the middle of the mm-hmm. pandemic but i didn't see much information on when the the plant is expected to actually start operating um yes, and you know yes. how how many you know processing units they're going to have but 7000 tons they definitely yeah. um, uh, look a, i mean they've indicated number. that they they've indicated that they deliver 7000 tons of cheese slices uh, to the African market, uh, which uh, also includes us here in South Africa. So I'm not quite sure, I guess, how much is consumed annually. But um, I don't know. I mean, what's what's 7,000? Maybe some of our listeners might be able to tell us uh, some of the numbers there. But uh, it certainly does come as an oasis in a desert for, for the Eastern Cape province where Ambulaz that has been uh, starved of some yeah. investment of late uh, at that yeah. area. But also, it's good news, man, because we certainly haven't been hearing much good news from uh, Ipondola Sempomakoloni. Yeah, I'll phrase this, you know, with a with a metaphor. So this is, you know, uh, like when you order a double quarter pound at McDonald's and you say you like that with Diet Coke. This is the Diet Coke we needed. Not quite sure if it fixes the problem with the QSR. That's a bad analogy. Bye-bye, <laughs> Bulaz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. He's giving those people with the arch some free advertising. <laughs> Four minutes it is after 8 p.m. That there is a Bright Kumalo. He's a portfolio manager and analyst at Vestact Asset Management. And they're saying, yeah, that feels like maybe that diet palliative. Uh, it does certainly feel like a jolt in the arm for the province of the Eastern Cape. And the 70 million rand um, is certainly investment we would welcome in that neck of the wood as a native of that area. But that being said, let's take a brief break. When we come back, uh, we take stock at a conversation we're going to have under the microscope this evening.